Good morning. Welcome to New Hope Chapel's online service. I'm Julie Coleman and I'm a member of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. We are honored that you're joining us this morning. We've been observing Advent this month by taking a look at each of the four Advent subjects represented each by a candle, four candles in the Advent wreath. We've looked at hope and peace and joy. And on this last of the Advent Sundays, we're going to be talking about love. One of the reasons we get all warm feelings when we think about Christmas is because of all of the love that the season brings. It's in the songs that we hear when we're shopping for our gifts. It's in the TV commercials that we see about Christmas. It's in the cards that we send and on the gift tags that we attach to our presents. Love is in the delight we feel when we found the perfect gift for someone important to us. But you know, love can even be found at Christmas in the midst of a world war. There's a story that took place back in 1944 during the Battle of the Bulge. A German mother and her son were seeking refuge in a cabin in the forest near the front lines. And they were invaded by three American soldiers and then soon after by three German soldiers. Well, after a lot of resistance and gun waving, the mother finally convinces the enemies to put aside their differences and to share a Christmas dinner. Eventually, the German and the American soldiers share their rations to make a proper dinner. Throughout the night, the Americans and the Germans actually befriend each other, despite the fact that they're eventually going to have to return to the war. The next morning, as they departed, they all said goodbye and they wished each other good luck for the rest of the war. Now, there are more details to the story, but you can see the whole story in a movie made about Christmas called Silent Night. That story where soldiers learn to see their enemy as actual people and then were willing to give to each other like that is just one example of the kind of love that happens at Christmas time. Stories like that make us wish that it was Christmas every single day when people will drop their barriers and love is around all of them. So this week we remember love because without love, there could be no Christmas. It all began with love. One of my favorite Christmas carols, Silent Night, beautifully pictures Jesus in the manger as Son of God loves pure light. Because the greatest expression of God's love the world has ever seen was in the birth of the Savior. God came to earth to dwell with man, to carry out a mission to save humankind from their sins. First John tells us that God is love. There are several words for love in ancient Greek. But whenever the love of God is mentioned in scripture, the word agape is always used. Agape is not a feeling like we often think of love, but it's a choice. It requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. So with that definition in mind, let's take a look at some of the aspects of God's kind of love. The first thing is that God's love is immeasurable. If God is love, that means that love is an essential part of his character. He loves from an outpouring of who he is. Remember, we're talking about God here. So we have to understand how big he is to understand how great his love is. How big is God? In 1990, the Voyager 1 spacecraft, after completing its mission, was about to leave the solar system. As it did, NASA scientists turned the spacecraft and took one last photo of Earth 
from a distance of about 3.7 billion miles. The photo shows Earth as a tiny dot suspended in the vast emptiness of space. Scientist Carl Sagan described what he saw as our whole world, everything we know and love, a moat of dust suspended like a sunbeam. And that's just our galaxy. No one knows exactly how big the universe is. Scientists estimate it contains hundreds of billions of galaxies and that the average galaxy contains hundreds of billions of stars. It's all incomprehensible to humans who are limited by time and space and circumstances. That vastness of the universe is a reflection of the vastness of its creator. Solomon once said, heaven, even the highest heaven cannot contain him. He's present in every part of that creation. And since God is love, that love, a part of his infinite character, that's how immense his love is. In one of the songs that we sing in New Hope Chapel are the words, how wide, how deep, how great is his love for me. The second thing I know about love is that God's love is not self-oriented. God's love thinks of others first. Jesus stands as the best example of that kind of love. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God gave up his glory, his power, left it all behind to come and live among men. God knew we had a problem that we could not resolve. Sin stood in our way to having a relationship with him. His love does for us what we could not do ourselves. Third thing is God's love gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever will believe in him will never perish but have everlasting life. He paid for our redemption from sin with the precious lifeblood of his beloved son. No greater price could have been given. It was the ultimate sacrifice and it's given as a gift to us. There's a movie that came out a long time ago. It's called The Last of the Mohegans based on a famous novel. It's set during the French and Indian War when France and Great Britain were battling for control of North America. The setting takes place in the area of Lake George, New York, and it details the transport of two young women, Alice and Cora, who are the daughters of Colonel Monroe. It's that they were going to a safe destination at Fort William Henry. Among the caravan guarding the women are British Major Duncan Hayward and the Indians, Chingachgook, Uncas, and an adopted son named Hawkeye. During the trip, Major Hayward falls in love with Cora, but she's not interested in him. She is in love with Hawkeye. The caravan arrives at the fort, but then the fort is attacked by the Huron. A group of the British escape and they hide in a cave behind a waterfall, but the enemies do capture them and they take them to their settlement. The chief rules that Major Hayward is to be returned to the British, and the one sister, Alice, is given to a tribe warrior. The other sister, Cora, is to be burned at the stake. At this point, Hawkeye steps forward and he asks to take 
Cora's place so that she may live. But when Major Hayward translates to the chief, he changes what Hawkeye says to offering himself to trade places with Cora because he loves her and he knows that she loves Hawkeye and that he will be sure that she will be taken care of with him. So he's burned at the stake, the ultimate gift for the woman he loves. God willingly gave his son to bear the sins of the world. It was the greatest gift possible to all of humankind. God's love is unconditional. I was on my way home from seminary one day and I heard a radio preacher, a very famous preacher, start his radio program with these words. God's love is not unconditional. Well, I almost drove off the road when I heard it because God's love is unconditional because Romans tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jesus came to save us while we were still his enemies. Nothing we did earned our salvation. He paid the price and he did it while we were in rebellion and turned away from him. God set the standard for agape love in loving those who did not deserve it. Whether they would accept Jesus or not, Jesus paid for everyone. <clears throat> for he himself is the propitiation, the payment, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. At the end of the chapter on love in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, but now faith, hope, love, abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Well, someday faith will pass away because faith will be replaced with sight. And all of our hope in someday will become a reality. But because love is an attribute of God and because God is eternal, his love is also eternal. It continues on no matter how we act or how dedicated to him we are or aren't. God's love is unconditional. Also, God's love forgives. Charles Ryrie wrote about a job he had working with underprivileged kids at a YMCA in Dallas, Texas. They would frequently take 40 to 50 kids away to a little summer camp for an evening cookout and games and sometimes even made it an overnight. Well, one early Saturday morning, way before dawn, he woke to discover a few of the leaders had sneaked out of the dorm. They'd launched a boat into a lake and they were having a great time far from shore. That was not only against the rules, it was downright dangerous. Now he stood by the shore until the kids saw them and they came right back when they saw him there. Like dogs with their tails between their legs, he said, they went back to bed, wondering what punishment was going to await them in the morning. Now, Ryrie had just given a talk about forgiving each other the night before. His words kept coming back to him as he paced the cabin, wondering what to do. He had read to them, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And so he began to pray. But Lord, I can't forgive them. They don't deserve it. And then he thought to himself, neither did I. And he started to pray again, but Lord, I have to enforce the rules. And then he thought to himself, I'm glad, Lord, you didn't. And then again, he thought, but Lord, if I'm too kind, these kids will think that I'm weak. And then he thought to himself, 
I never thought you were weak, Lord, only loving. But Lord, he prayed, first I'll make them promise never to do something like this again, and then I'll forgive them. And then he thought to himself, it's a good thing you didn't require that of me, or I never would have been forgiven. Just as God forgave me. How was that? No conditions or promises ahead of time? No works at the time? No remembrance afterward? But Lord, you're God. You can do anything. You're my child, he said. Imitate me. So in the morning, he sat the boys down and he said to them, you did a terrible thing. It could have had disastrous consequences for your family, for you, for the why and me. But I forgive you unconditionally and completely. The boys were a little skeptical. You're kidding, they said. There's got to be a catch somewhere. So Ryrie told them about his conversations with the Lord and how the Lord's love forgives and how he wanted them to experience the forgiving love of God for themselves. Ryrie didn't even make them do the cleaning up that day. He did it himself because he didn't want the boys to think they could earn even a little bit of that forgiveness. The rest of that story, as long as those particular kids were in Ryrie's clubs, they were the epitome, as much as kids that age could be, of goodness, helpfulness, and usefulness, and they never presumed on that grace. They loved because they were forgiven in love. God's love forgives. In Psalm 103, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So, to recap, God's love is immeasurable. It will never run out because it is who he is. God's love is not self-centered. He will always do the best thing for us, even when it seems like it's the worst. And God's love gives. He gave his only son for us. Everything we have is a gift from him. As James says, every good thing is given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Because he will always love us, he will continue to give us good things. It's all about his love. God's love is unconditional. We have not nor ever can earn it, which means we can't lose it either. We never deserved it in the first place and likely never will. He loves unconditionally. God's love forgives. He does this because Jesus had already paid the price for our sins. We will never be punished for our sins, ever. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. So that's God's love. So what? How do we respond to so great a love as this? Well, first, we love him in return for his love. We love because he first loved us. Jesus said that to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind is the greatest command. How could we respond in any other way when we understand how he loves us? But then Jesus added, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our example of that was Jesus. Paul wrote the Ephesians, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering 
and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We are to love because he loves us. And that love is so abundant, it outflows out of us into others all around. It's by far our most valuable gift. But it's not something to be merely received. Love is meant to be shared. It identifies us as God's children to a world that's still in darkness. And what should that love look like? Well, if we're imitating God and his love, our love should look something like this. Our love should be immeasurable. There can be no threat that someone can take away our love for them. We're pulling from an eternal supply from God himself. Our love should not be self-centered. We'll do what's best for the other person, even to our hurt. Our love should give. We will be generous in spirit with people, even when they've offended us. We won't assume motives or think that we can see into their heart. Our love should be unconditional. We can love our enemies. We can love when we have been offended. We can love when the other person doesn't deserve it, if we have the kind of love that God has. Our love should forgive. We can forgive because we have been forgiven. Our love will not keep an account of wrongs. We can be patient in the face of foolishness. We can leave the judgment to God and love regardless of the sin. If we have the kind of love that God has given us. Something became clear to me as we went through the four of these topics for Advent this month. Hope, peace, joy, and love. None of them are dependent on our circumstances. They really don't have much to do with what's going on around us at all. Now life is hard right now for all of us, but hope for the future, peace in our hearts, joy for what we've been given, and love for God and each other pulls us up out of the mud and onto solid ground. They release us from what we see happening all around us, every discouragement, every problem, every tragedy. And all four of these things can be had by focusing on him. So make Jesus your focus this Christmas. He will bring everything into perspective, the good, the bad, and the ugly. In each of these things, we can rise above it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for the quality of love and the amount of love that you pour into us. We would like to imitate you in that, Lord. Please help us to be people who imitate you in how we love each other. Give us the strength to do it, even when it's super hard. But we just thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.